At the Cryptid Keeper podcast, we love to laugh at the darkness, but we would never laugh at the rich cultures that explore it, or the unique cultural significance of the creatures explored. The jokes within are on no one but us. We encourage additional research on the subjects covered here, and hope that a comedy podcast is not your primary source of information. the cryptid keeper podcast the podcast for cryptids and their keepers that's us and if you're listening it's you too i'm alex flanagan and i'm addison peacock and you can't see it but i'm doing finger guns right now wow thank you that really built the world in a very immersive way i think from (laughs) now on we should do the cryptid keeper in the style of a radio play we'll hire (laughs) a third person to come on and just narrate whatever we're doing we're gonna need a fourth like we're gonna need two because we need one in each location to see what we're doing or you could just get back here. Oh, true. I could do you that. You could just come back from California. Hey, so what temperature is it there right now? Um, well, I'm glad you asked. It's today, I think, around like 45, 50. But, you know, it is supposed to snow tomorrow. So. Oh, okay. I was going to say today, I think it's about the same temperature because it's raining mm-hmm. here, so it's colder. Yeah, so. ask me again in 15 minutes. It'll be different. Okay, that's true. But I'm bumped. Every single state makes that joke and thinks they're the only state to make it. And I didn't realize that until I moved to the Midwest and everyone was saying that about Illinois, Uh Wisconsin, and (laughs) Minnesota. And people say it about Virginia. They're like, don't like the weather? Wait five minutes, it'll change. Uh And it's cute the first time you hear it until you realize that every state does it just like a parent telling every child that they're the favorite. So yeah, like it's almost like it's not a joke about states at all. It's about climate change. Uh-oh. Uh-oh, but Alex, you said it's going to snow tomorrow. Yeah, right. Uh that's why I said climate change and not global warming. Can I tell you a fun a fun fact about me? Um yeah, I love fun facts about you. So, you already know part of this story. Part of it is just context for our listeners. Um, but mm-hmm. I think there's another part you don't know yet, which is I've been playing Stardew Valley, and you, of course, know this. I've been kind of in a Stardew Valley haze for the past couple of days. There's, like, a lot going on, and so I'm just sort of coping with that by playing more Stardew Valley than I've ever played in my life. I bought Stardew Valley several months ago, and actually, up until yesterday, the only times I had played it were to do co-op on my friend's farms. I had never opened a single oh, right. Florida Stardew Valley file until yesterday, and now I've logged many hours, and it's fine. We're not going to talk about it. Um, but I am currently in the process of trying to uh, woo the artist, Leah, and she is wonderful and perfect and will someday be my wife, even if she doesn't know it yet. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was going through a bit of a personal crisis because I tried to dance with Leah at the spring flower dance, and she said no, so I was wondering if maybe I should explore my other options. But then I was talking to Stardew Valley NPC. I am talking about a computer-generated woman, by the way, who's made (laughs) up of pixel art. Um, This is not anything. But I was talking to her at, like, the little saloon. And Uh straight up out of nowhere, her conversation starter was, so this might sound a little bit harsh, but I think if we don't take care of our planet, our grandchildren are doomed. And I almost proposed on the spot. <laughs> I've never gotten that dialogue from her. That was the moment I knew that she's the woman for me. I love the movie Her. 
Here's the thing, I've never oh, seen it. Oh, man. It's fine. I will maybe eventually someday. I can't decide. It's fine. Don't worry about it. There are so many movies. That's just, that's it. That's the whole statement. There are so many mm-hmm. movies. There are and so many movies. There are so many and podcasts. unfortunately, only one of them is Alita Battle Angel. That's true. There are so many podcasts, too, but for some reason you've chosen to listen to this one, so thank you. <laughs> Hello. Which is, friendly reminder, neither an artificial intelligence podcast nor a movie review podcast. Although sometimes it cosplays as both or either or neither. Yeah. So... <laughs> It's also not a Stardew Valley podcast, but check in back with us next week, and that may have changed. It may have changed. Here's the thing. One quick last final note on Stardew Valley. Uh, When I first got the game, I was massively depressed and also very anxious about the future and the world, which is, like, not super changed that part, but, you know, it it varies. And so I would play it whenever I I got a little anxious and didn't want to think about my future. And so I'd like you Mm -hmm. to guess how many hours of Stardew Valley I have logged, because my Steam account will not let me forget. 420. God, okay, you overshot, and now it's not as exciting. Okay, how much is it? 292. That's pretty good. It's a lot of hours of Stardew Valley. Yeah. It's a lot of hours of tending to my fictional two-dimensional animated crops and pursuing love with a purple-haired gal or a long-haired writer who lives in a cottage by the beach. Both of whom I have married. And under different under different accounts, I didn't want to divorce Abigail. I would never do that to her. I understand. Uh, just a note for anyone who is a listener both of this podcast and also of a horror borealis, we have a co-op farm file that me and Addison and Andrew and Tim play on. Yes. And it was started one night after we'd finished recording horror borealis, and we were like, well, we're, let's just do a horror borealis farm. So I need everyone to know that the characters on this farm are Mariah and Siobhan. <laughs> And park director Kennedy and Jeremy the alien. <laughs> and the cat's because name is Tim, Martha. Because Tim decided that Martha should be the cat instead. <laughs> it's good. It's a lot. Also, the only one of those characters that I can see, like, having a farm is probably park director Adam Kennedy. But... Oh, you know it's Jeremy. It's for sure Jeremy. Oh, yeah. Jeremy the alien. Absolutely. <laughs> Anyway, that's only funny to people who have listened to the entire, like, it's fine. podcast, but it's still it's very fine. Good. So I was going to, I had a really good segue before, and then we said stuff about yeah, Stardew Valley. Yeah, I'm sorry, and then I hacked it up, but go ahead. It's fine. It's just, um, so I'm going to just pretend a little bit that that didn't happen and just pretend that this segue still works. So speaking sure. of things that look like one thing and, in fact, might be another, I'd like to talk <laughs> about something today. <laughs> Okay. I'd like to talk about, and I'm a little worried you might get a little mad at me for chomping your um, Irish folklore flavor oh, today. Oh, no, please do. But I got so excited, and um, like this is one of my favorite things from like even my childhood. I want to talk about Will o' the Wisps. Yeah, let's do it. And maybe I won't stumble over the name again. For um, just like for Addison friendly purposes, I'm just going to say Wisps probably for the rest of the episode uh, because Will o' the Wisp keeps tripping up my mouth in a way. <laughs> Fair. That is not super great. Um, also, as a child, I definitely thought they were just will-o'-wisps, and there was no the, but there definitely is a the. There is a the, um, yeah. But, you know, they go by a lot of other names as well, by the way. You probably are not surprised to know, both you and the listener, that mysterious lights in sort of marsh or foresty places happen pretty much everywhere in the world. These appear by different names in... Australia, throughout Asia, South America, the US, Ireland, Scotland, England, all throughout Europe, they are 
pretty much everywhere. Um, there is a page dedicated to just kind of mysterious lights in general on the uh, cryptids wiki, which is where I'll start mm-hmm. because it actually, on the cryptids wiki, they appear actually under the name of Wanderlight. W-A-N-D-E-R-L-I-G-H-T, Ooh, not wonder, nice. like I'm wondering if it's a light. Um, wander lights, they're described as atmospheric ghost lights seen by travelers at night, often in swamps, uh, though some people talk about seeing them in graveyards, forests, by water, uh, lakes, etc. The word wander light comes from a Dutch word, which is dwalicht, which means, uh, dwal means wander, and licht means light. And then you have, from there, these variations, like in... Um, obviously in Irish stories there are the will-o'-the-wisps you also get the term jack-o'-lantern or jack-of-the-lantern which is interesting if you only know jack-o'-lanterns as applying to those fun pumpkins that you carve or turnips in the old-timey days yeah in the U.S. they're called ghost lights or orbs you could they're also called um, hobby lanterns uh, in 19th mm-hmm. century texts ghost candles they're called sometimes Jenny with the Lantern was one that I even saw. Literally every single one of these sounds like the name of an Irish folk rock band. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Like Ghost Lantern definitely does. Jenny with the Lantern mm-hmm. it is absolutely like a trio of sad ladies. It's the Wailing Jennies. It's like, just the Wailing Jennies. And so those are Europe and North America. Then in Asia, they're called Alaya uh, up here in like uh, the Bengal area. There is, there are other variations as well um, in the near the Indo-Pakistani border um, in the Kutch district. There's sightings of Chirabati, which are ghost lights. There's um, in Japanese folklore. There's the Hitodama, which is literally the human soul, the ball of energy, and that's what those are attributed cool. to being. Cool, cool, um, cool. Then there are different, a couple other things that are described as balls of flame or balls of light, usually seen in graveyards in Japan. Um, there's Aburagai, uh, Komombi, Ushionibi, oh my gosh, Ushionibi, uh, and those are, and the Hinotama, which means ball of flame. Then they pop up in Central and South America as well. Um, there is a Portuguese word for it that I am afraid to try to pronounce because my Portuguese is just not very good, uh, you know, compared to my other languages that I've done this episode, which are great. Um, but there's a Portuguese word for it. That's the Brazilian equivalent that pops up under a lot of different names. And the name comes from old Tupi language and means fiery serpent, uh, which is that one. Then That's in Argentina, in Argentina, you have the Luz Mala, which means evil light, or Fuego Fatuo, which um, is... I do not know what Fatua means, but I do know Fuego is fire, obviously. They're supposed to be pretty evil, as you might have gathered from Luz Mala. They're not supposed to, uh, you don't want to interact with those. In Mexico, there's a version as well. There are witches who transform into these lights to sort of move around the forest and stuff. And then in Australia, which is actually the first thing that I found, um, I already knew about Will-o'-the-Wisps, but this led me down the path, (laughs) Um, the dark, swampy path of researching just kind of ghost lights and wander lights in general, and that is, in Australia, the Min Min Light is a name given to a light formation reported in eastern outback Australia and in, in like, Queensland specifically, and those lights have been reported all throughout um, into New South Wales and then into Queensland, and they are found in Aboriginal myths predating Western settlements of the region and then sort of have spread out from there over the years, and... The Min Min lights specifically different to some of the kind of ghost lights in stories actually like approach people like they kind of follow people oh, and sort of entice them to follow them 
like they kind of approach and then sort of go off in a direction as if to be like, follow me. And then if you follow it, you are never heard from again. So don't. <laughs> but most people listening, if you're coming from, if you're not super well versed in the folklore before now, and you're coming from uh, particularly a an American perspective probably are familiar with the wisps uh in the movie brave mm-hmm. the pixar film they make an appearance though they're decidedly less um malicious than they are often characterized as being in a lot of um the stories that you find when you actually dig into the folklore of it there's usually an implication that they're leading you toward danger or at the very least trying to make you get lost um but they do appear in brave uh in the forest uh sort of guiding merida along her path I have not seen Brave in a long time. I love that movie a lot. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, like, they do lead her into pretty dangerous situations. It just so happens that those situations, like, ultimately progress her journey. Yeah, but they also teach her to appreciate her mom. (laughs) Yeah, by fighting a bear. (laughs) Look, Alex, everyone's journey is different. Yeah, I'm just saying, like, that argument could still be made that they lead you into danger. Oh, yeah, I mean... It just may or may not be a rewarding sort of danger. Okay, that's fair. That's fair. So, there are a lot of fun... Actually, some of the explanations for these are, in my opinion... No, they're not just as fun, but they're almost as fun as the supernatural explanations. So, I'd like to talk about some of the actual scientific explanations for Will-o'-the-Wisps and Ghost Lights in general first. So, one of them is actually... Something that is already somewhat disputed in scientific circles anyway, in terms of how, not disputed that it can happen, but in terms of how common it actually is. And that's ball lightning. Do you know what ball ball lightning is? Uh, Only very vaguely. I've heard the term before, but I really want to hear like a more in-depth explanation by somebody who's researched it. Okay, well, ball lightning basically during a light, usually during or following a lightning strike is a bright about 100 watt, like about the brightness of a 100 watt light bulb, white, yellow, orange, red, or blue in color, and about the size of a small grapefruit. Basically, it's it's like an after effect of lightning or appears as a ball of light around lightning strikes and thunderstorms. And they have little like tendrils that sort of jerk it around and then they disappear. There's not really a definitive scientific explanation for what they are, though that has been reproduced sort of in controlled environments. At Tel Aviv University in Israel, Eli Jerby and Vladimir Diktar successfully and accidentally recreated ball lightning with a device called a microwave drill, which is made from a 600-watt magnetron taken from a k- kitchen microwave oven and a powerful microwave beam capable of penetrating solid objects. Then the tip of the drill, which it aims the beam at a solid substance and creates a hot spot in the solid. And then when the drill is pulled away from the hot spot, um, they used silicon, glass, and aluminum. Then it produced the drag produces a ball that resembles ball lightning that people have seen in the wild, so to speak. So that's an example of kind of what it might be, sort of electricity reacting cool, with so a metal. Cool, so that's legit terrifying. Oh yeah, I it's it's so interesting. They're like we hacked together a lightning ray from a microwave. <laughs> yep, and nature probably does this too. Yep, this is on HowStuffWorks.com, by the way. So it's a sort of basic overview it's not like um it's a little bit more made it's designed to be in layman's terms which is good for me as i am a layman when it comes to the subject matter but Mm -hmm. it does appear they're basically yeah the current popular theory uh proposed by john abrahamson at the university of canterbury suggests that it's the result of a chemical reaction of silicon particles burning in the air which would make sense with the microwave um with the microwave drill reacting to the silicon 
that they used in the experiment. Oh, yeah, totally. So, basically, a possibility for at least some sightings of mysterious balls of light could be <laughs> electricity reacting with silicon particles in the air and making little balls of basically lightning. <laughs> but that only really applies for ones that last for a few seconds. I should say that ball lightning doesn't last very long. It doesn't just hang out. Well, thank God for that. Yeah. It doesn't just hang out. Um, it lasts for a few seconds, and also, usually, it does usually move, and it is usually followed by smoke trails. So those are some sort of characteristics of ball lightning that would apply to that, that wouldn't necessarily apply to some of these descriptions. So that's only one of many kind of explanations that comes up in the conversation, but I ver I'm very interested with ball lightning, especially since there's still a lot of debate about what it is. Then there are people who say that doesn't it's not happening at all and it's just some sort of optical illusion or effect on the eyes because of lightning strikes. It's there's <laughs> so it's in and of itself subject to a lot of debate, which is fun to me. But I do love some of these absolutely kind of frightening <laughs> theories. I know they made a microwave gun. Hello. Yeah. We made a lightning thing, gun. <laughs> Is like no matter how cool this explanation gets, it does come down to a couple of dudes in a lab making a microwave gun, <laughs> and they made ball lightning happen with a lightning gun. Oh, it's good. There's also um, a couple of other uh, things that pop up when you talk about this. You get the Fata Morgana, which is a type of mirage. It's a complex form of mirage. It's seen in the narrow band right above the horizon, and it's. Named actually after Morgan Le Fay, who appears in The King yeah, Arthur. Yeah, I've actually heard of this. It's super cool. Oh, yeah. So if you haven't heard of uh, Fata Morgana, it's basically mirages that distort the object or objects on which they're based. Um, it can be seen on land or at sea, and it usually involves any kind of distant object. Boats, islands, the coastline. And it basically happens because rays of light are bent when they pass through air layers of different temperatures at a, in a, I'm reading from Wikipedia, but in a steep thermal inversion where an atmospheric duct has formed. And essentially, one of the ways in which they can manifest is looking like kind of, there's actually an image, um, there's a picture that you can find taken off the coast of Manhattan Beach in California, mm -hmm. which is not too far from me, that shows water that looks to be covered in little, like the, the horizon of the water in little balls of light. Oh, neat. And so that is an explanation often given for sightings of will-o'-wisps, mimmin lights, etc., etc., across bodies of water. That's neat. Yeah, now I, I specifically knew about the Fata Morgana as like like a maritime illusion. I didn't realize it could happen on land as well. Yes, it can happen on land looking out at the water. But yes, uh, it also happens if you are out on the sea. That is uh, an explanation given often specifically applied to the Minmin lights because I think they tend to occur in coastal areas particularly. Definitely important to consider and also interesting because our eyes and the world and light and energy play tricks on our brains all the time. And it's... Yeah, man. It's wild. How can Willow be real if our eyes aren't real? Yeah, exactly. How can they? And then, of course, there is the skeptic's favorite, just old friend old faithful explanation for everything from UFOs to ghosts to will-o'-wisps and that's marsh gas slash swamp gas slash bog gas which is as you might imagine a mixture of gases produced naturally within marshes swamps and bogs it's a mixture of methane hydrogen sulfide and carbon dioxide and if there's sufficient heat there can be spontaneous combustion of said gases and then it's 
makes lights. <laughs> it's also like the exact explanation that Will Smith's character in Men in Black gives for like an alien uh, instance after he's neuralized everybody. So that always makes me feel like it's a little bit less believable than it was before. Oh, yeah. Well, it's enough of a trope that people use swamp gas to explain quote-unquote paranormal phenomena that it pops up in the screenplay of Men in Black. And I I do think it's it's worth including. And also, to be fair, it's it's easy to roll your eyes at Swamp Gas, and I have been one to do so and continue to do so. But it is worth acknowledging that it is kind of cool that there is just sort of uh, stuff hanging around in the air in swamps, bogs, and marshes that can just <laughs> spontaneously combust. It is admittedly very neat, yes. It is neat that sometimes in certain places the air is just going to catch on fire. <laughs> I'm like yeah. dissolving into laughter because that's so inherently absurd to me, even though I know it scientifically not only is possible, but happens all the time. Uh, it's just very wild to me that you can be like, oh, yeah, in these areas, uh, in these in these uh, parts, of, parts of the country and parts of the world, sometimes the air just catches on fire, you know, in little patches. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes it just do that. <laughs> the fact that there are areas where there is both alligators, there are both alligators and spontaneously combusting patches of air just seems like it shouldn't be allowed. But, you know, swamps are a lot. Okay, here's the origins of the fray, of the term Will-o'-the-Wisp and just of the story in general. This is from weekinweird.com. And this Ooh. article is Will-o'-Wisps, Fairy Fires, and the Wandering Man Investigating America's Legendary Spook Lights. Um, in terms of the origin of Will-o'-Wisp or Will-o'-the-Wisp, the light was attributed to a specific person known only as William. Only William. Okay, so just William. William, no last name. So there's one version discussed by Charles Dickens uh, in um, a writing he did in his weekly magazine all the year round on March 11th, 1871. So this is right here. You see um, here, let me. St. Peter was once traveling on horseback. His horse lost a shoe. A blacksmith named Will put on a new one, and St. Peter was so pleased with the manner in which the work was done that he offered to grant any favor the smith might ask. Will, who was getting advanced in years, begged that he might be made young again. It was done, and he spent a very rollicking and rakish life. One result of this was that he became Will o' the Wisp, going about the world to lure travelers to their death. Oh. A light carried by a wandering man. That's a version of the story. You've got um, this one right here, uh, known by many accounts as Stingy Jack. A rather Stingy self- Jack. A rather selfish farmer was said to have lived in Southern Ireland many centuries ago. He had been banned from heaven for his bad behavior and likewise banished from hell after tricking the devil and two of his messengers. <laughs> uh, chaotic neutral. When Jack finally died, he was forced to wander the earth until Judgment Day, carrying a lantern made from a hollowed-out turnip. Ah, I mentioned turnips. Holding a hot coal. Became tradition to carve turnips and other vegetables with horrible faces. Jack-o'-lanterns, guys. Um, in order to place them in the windows to ward off evil spirits, or perhaps Jack himself. And so a lot of the versions of the story actually involves sort of one ghostly... One sort of either ghost of a man or sort of like man outside of a world who carries a lantern and is either deliberately or unknowingly luring people off the path. Mm-hmm. So, Willow the Wisp! I don't know why that makes me scream like that. I don't know what that is. Um, <laughs> so, this is from the Fairy Blog. 
Um, thank God. If you love fairies, then this is the blog for you. I write about all things fairies, such as fairy lore, book reviews, movie reviews, musings, and more. So Sounds pretty comprehensive. I'm into it. Oh, yeah. So uh, on July 7th, 2016, the author of this blog made a post about Will of the Wisp. And I, oh, the voice of this blog is very, just very cute. I'm not going to read the whole thing verbatim because that's a little boring and you could just go read it yourself. But I do like, but they do open it with, hello, my dearies. And hello is spelled H-A-L-L-O-O. Like, hello. Um, Oh, good. And it's cute. So they're talking about Will of the Wisps, which, like I mentioned, are considered to be kind of fey or fair folk related. Mm -hmm. This is, they mentioned, known by a variety of names. So... According to the folklore scholar Catherine Briggs in her Encyclopedia of Fairies, the Will of the Wisp is primarily a trickster that delights in leading travelers at night into dangerous grounds such as bogs or marshes. And then she mentions that it was a man who was rejected by both heaven and hell, had to roam forever with only a dim light to guide him and keep him warm. When the Will of the Wisp appears in a graveyard, it's believed to predict a death. Briggs points out, though, that Puck, or Robin Goodfellow, could act as the Will of the Wisp when he chose, specifically in order to trick or mislead travelers. There's also a different version um, touched upon by Cassandra Eason in A Complete Guide to Fairies and Magical Beings and Eden McCoy in A Witch's Guide to Fairy Folk. They both have a different understanding from Catherine uh, Briggs, which is they say that they are they can either help humans or hurt them just as the one does in the movie Brave, which is referenced in this piece. Basically, they're a little bit less, they're not overtly malicious and they're not overtly good. There's a little more variety, just like fairies in general Mm -hmm. tend to have. So some will-o'-the-wisps are going to help you out and put you on the right path or maybe help you repair your relationship with your mom. And some of them are going to take you off the path and maybe you have an accident or you uh, walk into a river and drown or something. You know, I'm always much more interested in creatures and folklores that lean into that aspect of like variable morality. Oh yeah, um, and it's the same problem I have with a lot of like tabletop games, which is to say that like characters of this species are inherently this morality. Like, is kind of maybe not great, it's right? It's a little iffy, yeah. And considering that folklore is so often a reflection of the way that we deal with and interact with the world around us and the people around us and the things that we don't understand, like. I understand why there is a desire to ascribe certain concrete principles to it, but at the same time, like, I think if there's any sort of sentient creature or force or entity or existence, like, there's going to be some flexibility there, right? They're not just going to automatically always help humans, because humans aren't the center of the freaking universe. Like, chill with that, maybe. Oh my gosh, that's not related exactly, but that reminds me of how angry I get when a science fiction thing assumes that the aliens would inherently, like, speak, particularly even now, like, if they want to reach out mm-hmm. to humans, speak English, as opposed right. to one of the other dominant language, like, because a lot of people on this planet speak Spanish, for example. Like, there's no reason to believe that the aliens wouldn't necessarily go, like, ah, hola, como estas? Like... Right. I, anyway, it's like that's like a separate thing, but it's just something that always bothered me. If I looked down at Earth and it was my job as an alien linguist to spend many years studying this planet and deciding which culture to make contact with, I certainly would not go for England or the United States. Oh yeah. Oh, side note, this is not related, but you were talking about speaking of the good and bad variables for the Will-O-Wisp, I should also mention that some variations on the story say that following them leads to treasure if you can keep up with them, like following a leprechaun. 
So that's a get-rich-quick scheme for you. <laughs> Hopefully it ends better than it usually does with leprechauns. Or get-rich-quick schemes in general. Yeah. This Will-O-Wisp is going to lead you to another Will-O-Wisp, but hey, if you want to start your own Will-O-Wisp team... I was just about to say... All you have to do is spend $75 on this product placement. I was just about to say, what's a better investment, you think? Following a Will-O-Wisp through a dark swamp or giving your money to a pyramid scheme? Will-O-Wisp? Yeah. At least then I'm, like, spending time outside. <laughs> and you're not... And you don't have, like, a garage full of leggings that you can't sell. Okay, so, sorry. Okay, so I want to talk some more about regional variants on uh, Will-O-Wisps and ghost lights and stuff. There is a website dedicated specifically to Will-O-The-Wisps that is willowthewisp.weebly.com. And Aww, you have, weebly. yep, and you have tales, nice. tales of the Wisp, which there's a big section that's a same, like a longer version of the story I already mentioned about um, uh-huh. sort of a man between heaven and hell dwelling in the middle with a with a lantern. But that's, um, they also have a little section that's dedicated to little breakdowns of some variants uh, in a couple different countries. So then there's Britain, Ireland, and Scotland have the sort of mostly like the jack-o'-lantern thing that we mentioned. Um, mm-hmm. Then in Germany, uh, known as Hirwisch, it's said that these little spirits grow angry when they hear a traveler singing a song they do not like. I mean, same. And then, excuse me, they turn into a goblin and then lead the traveler to a marsh where they terrorize them or may kill them. I mean, same. Mm-hmm. Like, when Blurred Lines came out, that's how I felt. I get it. No, yeah, there are certain songs that I just don't want to hear people singing while they walk on the trail at night. So Australia, the Min Lights I mentioned, I actually have a sighting uh, with those that I'll get into a little later. Then mm-hmm. in the U.S., the most famous place where they're seen, or one of the most famous places they're seen, are uh, at the Brown Mountain in North Carolina, where the lights that are seen there are said to be red or white and sometimes have a tail, which is probably one of the ones where ball lightning would come into the conversation because it's mentioned to have a tail. Um, and they're supposed to have sort of tendrils or smoke trails. So... Mm-hmm. Then in Denmark, there's another jack-o'-lantern story. Um, they're the unrighteous spirits of men. They use a false glimmer to lead a traveler into a bog. I don't know why I'm doing this voice so much on this episode. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> okay. In Dutch tradition, you knew this had to happen at some point. There's always one story that pulls this. They're said to be the souls of unbaptized children. There's always one. The, uh, this one's sad. Basically, the idea of those is that they play around in marshy areas in hopes that a man of the cloth will see them and baptize them. Oh. Um, so, uh, in the Netherlands, um, they're also known as jack-o'-lanterns, also said to be the souls of unbaptized children. So, they have nowhere to go, they have no destination, so they hang out on Earth. And cool, 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 cool. And the reason they lead travelers to water is so that they can be baptized! It's so such a weird take on the story, and I don't know why I said it in that voice. I think it's just because I find it so such a strange choice, and it always pops up. Every time you have something like this, there's always going to be one or two places that are like, "Be considered letting me bring uh, letting me bring Christianity into this." Mm-hmm. Yeah, like have you thought about maybe Christianity, maybe um, baptisms? So, <laughs> in Wales, the Elilden. I'm sorry, it's a species of elf. <laughs> Corresponding to the will of the wisp, they they dance around in marshy grounds and then lead wanderers astray. But it's a poor elf who has 
Oh no, sorry. It's the, as a distinguished resident in Wales has wittily said, the poor elf is now starved to death and his breath is taken from him. His light is quenched forever by the improving farmer who has drained the bog. And instead of the rank decaying vegetation of the autumn, where bitterns and snipes delighted to secrete themselves, crops of corn and potatoes are grown. So they're supposed to be, I guess, not really around anymore. Oh, I the see. the bogs aren't really around anymore in Wales. Yeah, not the bogs. So... In Asia, I mentioned the Chirbati uh, in the Bani grasslands, and then also the Alea uh, in the Bengali area. Um, they already, like, lean into it and say that it's a type of marsh gas, but it confuses fishermen, makes them lose their bearings, and they might fall off their boats and drown. And then in Mexico, in the 1940s and 1950s, people saw sightings of green fireballs floating around Mexico, which attracted the attention of the U.S. government. Oh, and... <laughs> of course it did. Oh, and, Alex, and, just in case you thought we weren't going to have an alien connection today. I never for a second thought that. Most of the sightings just so happened to take place around military installations or highly sensitive scientific training areas. Natch. Um, <laughs> okay, I'm glad you knew that there was going to be at some point, like, a the government is hiding something or there's aliens connection. Because there always is, guys. There always is. Forever and always. I want to talk a little bit more about the uh, Brown Mountain Lights in North Carolina before I talk about some sightings. Um, and there are many sightings, like very vague ones or just old time stories of people saying, I was out in the bog and I saw a light. Um, what is this voice? <laughs> but I have a couple sort of firsthand accounts or interviews that I want to talk about in a second. One of them's a Reddit post just because it's fun. But... If you live in the States and want to uh, check out the uh, Brown Mountain Lights, um, first of all, the skeptics explanation, the Brown Mountain Lights are, uh, first of all, they're um, from the Blue Ridge Parkway near Brown Mountain in North Carolina. People say they see mysterious red circular lights and they date back to a report from a fisherman in 1913 in the Charlotte Daily Observer who said he saw mysterious lights just above the horizon every night. There is a uh, Brian Dunning of the podcast Skeptoid uh, says that the fishermen had seen train lights. That's what they think is the case. Um, that is uh, their explanation. There's also, I mentioned, ball lightning, marsh gas, all those good things. But if you want to go see the Brown Mountain Lights, you can try the overlooks at mileposts 310 and 301. And from the Brown Mountain Overlook on North Carolina Highway 181 between Morgantown, North Carolina and Linville, North Carolina. So... Those are some good vantage points to go see them. If you would like to see them, the best time is apparently September through November. I really like the specificity that this article gives us in mm -hmm. terms of like, you really want to go see these things? Like, you really want to go see these things? All right, here is exactly how. Mm. If you want to go see the St. Louis light, which is in St. Louis in Saskatchewan, Canada, um, not the St. Louis you would expect it to be. <laughs> <laughs> not the big one, the little one in Saskatchewan, Canada. Um, you can go see those uh, south of Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. The light sightings near the old railroad tracks happen five miles north of St. Louis. And by all accounts, the gravel road that leads to the place is unmarked and hard to find. So the best bet is to go to St. Louis and ask someone. Aw, nice. Also, sorry if you can hear the very heavy rain we're having right now. California's having a uh, rainy winter. so I can't hear it at all, but okay, I good. hope it's soothing. I don't think it's making it onto my audio, but I wasn't sure. So I wanted to apologize just in case. So I'm going to talk about, okay, first of all, just a little like very brief little toss off, like mention they pop up in um, pop culture. I mentioned Brave and I also want to reference that they pop up 
um, in Lord of the Rings or references to them in, uh, to similar things like Mysterious Lights. They pop up in Harry Potter, The NeverEnding Story, The Spiderwick Chronicles, Dracula, and Paradise Lost. So, and in Brave, like I mentioned. There's also... So they've, they've done it. They've got the oh, entire... Yeah. Sorry, they are called Hinky Punks in Harry Potter, and that's actually not a J.K. Rowling invention. That's the regional variant on the name for them in Somerset and Devon, which is a fun word. Oh, Addison. Did you think there was such a thing as a J.K. Rowling invention? <laughs> no, I didn't. I wanted to make sure people knew what, where the credit was due for that. So that's a Somerset and Devon regional variant. Hinky Punk, which is cute. So I want to talk about some sightings of Will-o'-the-Wisps. First, I want to... This is defined as a Will-o'-the-Wisp sighting, or except for this... Per, or as this person refers to it on Reddit, Will-o'-Wisps, spell W-I-L-L-O-W, wisps. Um... Oh, okay. This is an archived post from The Truth Is Here on Reddit, which is a database for personal encounters with the unknown. So they archive nonfiction stories dealing with spirits, paranormal, and strange happenings and unexplained sightings. So it's meant to be, whereas whereas our no sleep is for stories that are, that quote unquote, could be true, but probably aren't. This is supposed mm-hmm. to be for, like, actual engaged skeptical discussion. People are encouraged to ask questions and seek verification of things. Uh, etc. And so this is from three years ago by user Alex127. Alex is spelled creatively. I'm not going to spell it just because I don't want to like weirdly put this Redditor on blast. Um, <laughs> I was at a pagan gathering put together by a pagan church to celebrate springtime. We were on an island in the Puget Sound off of Washington, USA and in Washington, technically. This one guy I'll call Randy and this girl who liked me but was to be disappointed, name I'll call IDK, Carol. <laughs> um. We go outside of our cabins at night to see these, hmm, I think they might have been some sort of old military installation where we held a pagan event earlier that day, as it's a nice stage, and I saw, OMG, it wasn't lightning bugs, it wasn't flashlights, or whatever you might think. It was bright, effing, I'm gonna censor, because this is a, a family-friendly podcast, orbs of light. Uh-huh. I could see them. I could see how intelligently they moved like bugs, almost, but different with no effort slash wind resistance. They just danced and played. But it was bone-chilling. These I perceived to be spirits. Randy was joking about it being haunted, and we all saw them, at which point he wanted to go onwards, but me and Carol were like, nope, and we went to bed. I remember there being something about one of the cabins being haunted, too. It was an old jail, I think. I have quite a few of these encounters, but it's a limited list. I don't see the harm in posting all of them at once, but maybe you guys slash the mods would prefer if I didn't. Still really new to Reddit. Not sure how many I'll post today, but love to get these things out in the open. And so that's their post about orbs slash uh, will-o'-wisps. And I want to see if they posted their other orb stories. I don't know that they did because they got like thoroughly dragged by some people in the comments. Oh, no. I know. They didn't. They never posted their other stories. Because a guy, or I'm going to, okay, I'm making assumptions, but um, let's be real. A guy rolls up to the comments, and I'm not going to read the whole thread, but this guy rolls up to the comments and, like, starts basically, like, calling this person a liar and being like, you didn't take pictures. And the guy's like, I didn't have a camera. And they're like, hey, people of Reddit, why do you hate fun? Yeah, they're like. My narrative was a personality background. Your narrative was an over-descriptive story about dancing lights. If you wanted to appear credible, you wouldn't have described them as dancing or playing like they were fairies or something. You would have described them as glowing, floating orbs and left it there. Instead, it's written like you were trying to tell a story as opposed to an objective encounter. (laughs) 
what the heck? People are so mean on the internet. Yeah. And then geez. someone's like, someone's like, I'm sorry, I didn't have a care. Or they're like, people just don't. Sometimes like, someone's like, hey, this is not <laughs> constructive. This place is to tell nonfiction stories even without sufficient evidence. Like, be nice. And the person's like, without evidence, they're just as good as lies. I'm like, oh my god. Jeez. I didn't want to. I wasn't originally going to talk about the comments, but I saw them and they were too. It was. I needed to tell someone about it because I felt really bad for this person. Yeah, that's so rude and aggressive. <laughs> that's so unnecessary. Like, I think the thing that got me is that they're so angry that this person might, in a Reddit forum, be telling a lie about some orbs they yeah, saw. Furious. It's also like, as another nicer person in the comments points out, it's not even that outlandish of a story. Like, if you were going to make up a story, yeah, like, all they real. said was... I saw some lights that looked kind of like lightning bugs, but they made me feel nervous, and then I went to bed. Like, that's the story. That's it. That's all. <laughs> Which is not that, uh... <laughs> that's not a very, uh... That's not a very out-there out story. <laughs> but, um, I did like it, actually. I appreciated the voice of the story. I always like a Reddit... I always like a Reddit-based encounter, because they're usually written kind of like... For example, OMG, I, I thought, mm -hmm. and then we were like, nope, and then we went to bed. <laughs> <laughs> but I do appreciate, uh, it did also, if the place was actually meant to be kind of potentially haunted, then it ties into um, the idea actually that floats around a lot of the different versions, which is that they are manifestations of spirits. And that actually, I would love to do, might do a whole episode on them actually on their own when we get into, there's a lot of subsets of ghosty stuff, but that reminds me of orbs and i'm not going to talk too much about orbs right now because i want to give them their own episode but if you are in any way involved in ghosty stuff or ghost hunting or watch any ghost hunting shows mm -hmm. or read any ghost hunting anything you know about orbs orbs and i even have my own personal orbs story that Ooh. i will keep to myself for now um, it's not, not that exciting this. it involves a high school field trip it's not that exciting i'll tell it on the orbs episode i'm going to keep it a keep it secret keep it safe for now build the suspense over the not that exciting anecdote i have about orbs but um, yeah, so it does tie in to orbs nicely when you bring in that kind of haunted areas. So I've got two more Will of the Wisps slash Min Min Lights sightings uh, to go over really quickly before we bring things to a close. So on news.com.au slash technology slash environment slash natural wonders, um, <laughs> cool. there is it. a Benedict Brook article called The Mystery of Queensland's Eerie Min Min Lights. And in this, they speak to... Um, Genevieve Hammond, who lives in an outback Queenlands town um, 1,700 kilometers west of Brisbane. And she talks about an experience she had with them. She says, we've heard about the lights all our lives. And they talk about seeing the eerie light. Um, this is the article, not, not Miss Hammond. Um, often described as intensely bright floating balls, has been said to reduce grown men to tears. Not sure whether that means the light is so bright it makes their eyes tear, or if it means it's so scary that they cry. Either way, I'm interested. I don't know. Either way, that's evocative. Yeah, exactly. Um, and local children were warned that the glow would get them. Um, and then if local legend decreed that if you follow the light, you would never come back. Um, so she had heard the stories, but she never saw the lights until she went camping with her husband, John, in a flat region of Western Queensland's channel country. She says, we were on a remote cattle station. We were camping out and we saw this greenish oval shaped blurry light bobbing up and down. It was parallel to the horizon about a kilometer away and seemed to be a meter from the ground. You can tell this is Australian because of, you know, the metric system. It moved mm -hmm. very slowly to the left and then came back on itself. And then went on like this for about 15 minutes. 
It was very silent and eerie. We were trying to think, could it be a neighbor? A car? But the nearest homestead in that direction was 120 kilometers away. The next day, Jono, that's what she calls her husband, I guess, which is cute, oh, good. went over to that. where the light was, and there was nothing. It couldn't have been anything else. There's no other explanation. It was the Min Min light. So she is also Bullia Shire Council's tourism officer. Or, oh, no, sorry. That's not her. Shelly Norton is the tourism officer. Miss um, Hammond owns a motel uh, in the same oh, area. Okay. Um, Shelly Norton, who is the uh, area's tourism officer, says, in the last four years, visitors have reported encounters. She says, they come in and they don't know what they've seen, but you can guarantee it's the Min Min light. And there's a picture of a sign in the area that is a bright orange sign with um, kind of a little Comic sans looking text. And it says, for the next 120 kilometers, you are in land of the Min Min light. This unsolved modern mystery is a light that at times follows travelers for long distances. It has been approached, but never identified. So that's fun. That's fun. I like when they're fun. I know. Isn't it so great when they're fun? Oh, I love it. And so there's actually a little bit more to the article where they talk about some of the explanations I mentioned, including the Fata Morgana. Um, if you want to read the full thing, I mentioned the uh, you are the almost exact URL. And if you search that and then the uh, headline, the mystery of Queensland's eerie Min Min lights, you can go find it. But some of that's a rehash. And I mainly wanted to focus on uh, Genevieve Hammond's little story about camping with her husband. Also, I often forget that for how big Australia is, the population is not that dense because there's so much outback. Yeah. So there are these huge areas that there is just 120 kilometers where there's not another per Like the idea that you're camping and and you mm-hmm. can be like, the closest house is 120 kilometers away. Yeah, that's pretty wild. Um, and I've got one more. This is on aminoapps.com. Uh, by this is Rainer Lewington posting Willow the Wisp in the West parentheses true paranormal encounter and I'm going to try to read this I'm going to read this one pretty much just verbatim okay and you have good evening ladies and gentlemen tonight I have a special story for everyone to enjoy I normally keep my own paranormal horror experiences private but I wanted to share this paranormal experience in particular I hope you enjoy this tale of my encounter with a will-o'-wisp, and as usual, I'd appreciate your thoughts in the comments below. This all happened when I was in middle school and on vacation with my family in New Mexico. I was with my family when this happened and witnessed the spirit with my cousin. It was late at night out on the mountain road, and my family had decided to park at one of the rest stops on the mountainside. My father and my uncle stopped off so my mother and aunt could take pictures of the nearby city of El Paso at night. My cousin and I were bored sitting at the rest stop, and found out fairly quickly there was a nearby trail we could walk on. We gained the quick permission from both of our parents and were off down the trail. We traveled down the dirt path quite a far distance, looking out towards the city as we continued down past the numerous bushes and cactus plants. The weather was fair, with light winds and no interruptions from the local wildlife. It was the perfect night to go out for a quick hike. But my cousin and I, but sorry, but for my cousin and I, that all changed quickly when we came into contact with what I can only describe as a miracle and a curse. I hadn't noticed dun, the, dun, dun. All right, yeah. I hadn't noticed the spirit for a while, but my cousin claimed to have seen it out of the corner of his eye well before it decided to make its presence known. A spirit in the form of what looked like a white ball of fire floated out in front of us and forced both my cousin and me to come to a stop. I had heard legends of this thing as a child, but had never imagined I would encounter one in person. Being this close to the spirit, my heart nearly skipped a beat. Floating just a few feet away from my cousin and I was a will-o'-wisp. 
Legends tell of these spirits leading people off their regular paths and into the wilderness, but other tales tell of a more sinister and malevolent type. Spirits who are buried in the wilderness out of foul play are said to come back as vengeful will-o'-wisps and will start fires in the wilderness if people come too close and agitate the spirits that rest there. I told my cousin to wait as I moved a little closer to the spirit. Don't do that. Okay. Sorry, I'm editorializing. I stopped and froze. <laughs> I could feel the heat and energy it was emanating. I tried to take a step back, but froze again as the spirit flew in closer. It was a mere six inches away. This time I stood still, hoping the spirit would spare us. The area around the spirit was very heated now. Being just a few inches away felt like being just inches away from a searing hot oven. After a few minutes of standing there, the spirit decided we were not a threat and floated off into the brush, never to be seen again. My cousin and I ran back to our parents' vehicles in a hot sweat. We wanted to tell them what had happened, but we knew it, they wouldn't believe us. I told my parents we saw a rattlesnake and got nervous when the snake got closer and raced back as quickly as we could. It wasn't until I got home that I did realize how close to death we really were out there in those mountains. Few people escape encounters with a vengeful will-o'-wisp. Most stories involving will-o'-wisps retell the aftermath of someone who angered them. They're known to torch entire forests and large areas of land when they're angered. I was very close to having been incinerated that night, and I'm glad that I'm one of the few who can retell this tale with clarity. My advice to anyone who wishes to pursue one of these spirits is simple. Don't. Don't follow one of these spirits, regardless of what you think their intentions are, because only bad things can happen from an encounter with a will-o'-wisp. That has 99 likes. <laughs> Ooh, one of my favorite things in the world when somebody's like, my advice is very simple. Just don't do it. Oh my gosh, that reminds me, actually, something I forgot I meant to hit before our uh, sightings. I found a book on Google Books um, called Defense uh -huh. Against the Dark, a field guide to protecting yourself from predatory spirits, energy vampires, and malevolent magic by Emily Carlin. That sounds very good. Mm -hmm. I'm going to keep this book in mind, definitely. This is by Emily Carlin. I want to read the blurb about the book first, and then she does have a section on Will-O-Wisps, or Will-O-The-Wisps that I'll talk about really quickly, where she gives some advice on uh, how to deal with them. So, first, this is the blurb on the book. This was published in 2011. It's under the category of Mind, Body, and Spirit. And obviously, uh, if you haven't gathered from the uh, subheader of the title, maybe take this book with the slightest grain of salt. But, you know, if you are looking for advice on how to deal with predatory spirits and energy vampires and malevolent magic, maybe consider. When we lie awake at night listening to mysterious sounds, we imagine all the things that could be making those strange noises. The rumbling is the sound of the refrigerator. The knocking is from the old furnace. The creaking is nothing more than the house settling, isn't it? Although the modern world has denied the existence of things that go bump in the night and has taught us that the occult couldn't possibly exist, we know there are things that science has yet to explain. Defense Against the Dark introduces the reader to many of those unsavory magical creatures and occult happenings that exist outside of fairy tales. Our ancestors knew these threats were real and took precautions to protect themselves from whatever evil was lurking in the shadows. Defense Against the Dark will teach you common lore and mythology of predatory entities such as goblins, vampires, imps, and ghosts, how to identify malevolent spirits and understand how curses actually work, how to master different protection methods, Easy, concrete methods for protecting yourself in everyday situations. So, the section on Will-O-Wisps, Will-O-The-Wisps, excuse me, I'm getting used to the person who it omitted the will, or the the, uh, from the other story, um, has a little uh, section that's kind of the basic lore, but before the lore, and then they have suggestions on how to deal with them. Um, but first, mm -hmm. they have vital statistics, and I don't know the scale they're working on, but I wanted to share them anyway. You've got danger level, two, rarity, four, and difficulty of removal, two. 
So I don't know what the scale on, is. On what scale? Oh, okay. Because I don't have the full book. I, I can't access the full book. Oh, gotcha. this is on Google Books. And so I don't have like... Let's assume it's out of a two. Oh, no, Alex. Well, then that's scary because the rarity is four. <laughs> I know. Horrifying. <laughs> They're so rare, Alex. Okay. So methods of removal. A person always has a choice whether to follow a will of the wisp and furthermore always has the option of watching where he or she is going. As a result, will of the wisps are not terribly dangerous and don't usually need to be removed. If you see a mysterious and beautiful light hanging low to the ground, just don't follow it. If you are concerned that you might be entranced by a will of the wisp, look away as soon as you notice one and simply continue on your way. If you regularly pass an area frequented by will-o'-the-wisps, consider carrying a piece of cold iron, such as an iron nail from the hardware store, in your pocket when you pass by. This will make them avoid you and can neutralize any potential enchantment. Which is the first mention of iron, but makes sense since they're often linked to fae and fairy lore. So, yeah. That's will-o'-the-wisps. If you see strange lights in the forest, don't follow them. <laughs> yeah, probably just don't. You might get lost. Like... Best case, most scientific scenario, even if they are not supernatural at all, maybe don't follow weird lights. Like, if it is just random swamp gas, it's probably not going to help you get anywhere. Yeah, I mean, fair. Refer, perhaps, to a GPS or maybe even to your own intuition versus mysterious lights in the forest slash swamp slash bog slash marsh. Uh, and you might do a little better in making your way out. I'm just saying. Like, this is one of those situations where even if it's not supernatural, it's probably not a good idea. <laughs> yeah, honestly. Well, it's probably a worse idea if it's not supernatural. Actually, yeah, because they're balls of fire or lightning. <laughs> yeah. And be careful, please. Stay safe out there, we say always. It's not a good navigation system. I just want to personally put that out there right now. Maybe any other navigation system perhaps better? Yeah, basically it's the it's the worst one probably. Isn't, isn't there something with where moss is growing on a tree or something? Yeah, it's this whole thing that supposedly moss grows on the north side of trees, so you should go like if that's north for you. Here's the thing. I've fully seen trees that the entire trunk was encircled in moss, so I do not believe that to be true. But Yeah, that's the thing, right? <laughs> oh, you know what? If you're going to follow a light at night to find a direction to go, find the north star. There you go. And that's my that's my advice. Pretty straightforward or, way of doing that, huh? Or, because it's 2019, use the GPS on your phone. <laughs> okay. But if you are camping, do not just... Re like, if you are planning on being out in the woods, please plan on knowing something other than the GPS on your phone. It will oh, die no, totally. or you won't have it. No, 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 totally. That's I'm not meaning to say be dependent on your phone. I just mean... Most of the time now, I really do hope we don't have to rely on the North Star as our method of guidance. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'm just, I don't want to be anti-technology or anything, but oh, yeah. just like, please do know what you're doing before you go out in the woods. Like, I'm the number one advocate of getting on here and saying like, yeah, go out in the woods. It's totally fun. Run around, like live your life. But there are a lot of instances of people who assume that they're going to have access to a certain technology who find that they do not once they get out there and it ends very mm. badly for them. So yeah. just want to say... If you're going backpacking or camping or even just hiking, know what you're getting yourself into and be adequately prepared for it. And I say stay inside. Watch cartoons. That too. Play Stardew Valley. Yeah, I'm also going camping on Saturday, so I'm a hypocrite and a liar, but you know. Oh, fun. I knew you were going hiking. I didn't realize you were camping. 
Um, I think potentially camping, I should say. I don't know if it's actually going to happen, depending on what the weather's going to be like Sunday. Because if it's totally. supposed to start raining overnight, we're not going to do that. Well, yeah. Um, but we'll keep an eye out. Might just be hiking. But anyway, I'm doing outdoor things on Saturday, so I'm a liar. Hey, proud of you. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> for lying? What? You're proud of me for lying? <laughs> no, I'm proud of you for going outside. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Um, all right, so I think that's going to do it for us. Thank you, as always, to everyone who helps support the show and who makes it possible. Listeners like you, as well as team members like Andrew, our in-house composer who does our theme music, and Val, our audio wizard who makes the episodes that you hear. And I really like the phraseology happen. of saying that Andrew does our theme music, like he recomposes it every week. Oh no, he plays it live, Alex. He plays it live every yeah, week. Yeah, he gets right on here with us. Actually, it's not even when we record it. Every time you queue up the episode to play on your phone, that's Andrew right there. <laughs> he plays it on a little Casio keyboard. Uh-huh. Um. It's pretty amazing, actually. He's it's, extremely consistent. He never sleeps. <laughs> um... We're very worried about him. No, um, please help him. So, uh, thank you to those of us. Those of us help. Thank you to those of you <laughs> who support us via word of mouth, via listening to the episode, and donating to our Patreon, which you can find under the Cryptid Keeper. I just uploaded a bonus episode for five dollar and up donors yesterday on a little creature called the Tizzy Wizzy. <laughs> which is fun and cute. Um, you can find various things on there, such as donors of any tier can access the entire backlog of a horror borealis. Then there's for uh, upper tiers, there's a Discord server, there's movie nights, fun stuff. Um, and yeah, and if you can't do that or don't want to do that, that's fine. We appreciate <laughs> all forms of support and are very grateful for them and for you. So thanks. And anything to add, my friend? Uh, thank you additionally to the Lunar Light Studio yes. for being the Lunar Light Studio. That's enough. <laughs> you can check out shows on that network like Netflix and Kill, The Good Boys Girls, uh, Ten Pan Diddly Doo, and many others. And lots of fun, good content from nice, good, fun people on that time, on that time, on that network. I'm having a hard go of it. We're dragging a little bit over here. So, it's fine. Uh, <laughs> um, so <laughs> I think that's time to wrap it up. Um, I've been led off the path by a mysterious light, I think. Um, so, as always, we hope we can keep you around and stay safe out there. <laughs>